Well, praise the Lord. Take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 28 this morning for our opening text. <clears throat> Is there anybody in the house that needs to grow spiritually in their life? Amen. Well, if you're not sure, I've got a little list of things that kind of helps you figure this out. Can you watch your peers and those close to you prosper and succeed without feeling jealous? Can you watch your peers and those close to you prosper and succeed and be happy for their blessing? Can you watch others' needs being met abundantly when your needs are far greater? Without questioning God or failing to be grateful for what you have. Can you be satisfied to live your life without praise, recognition, compliments, applause, or approval, even when you see others around you receive them? Can you receive criticism willingly? And learn from it with a teachable spirit. Can you stand by patiently and allow others to do a job that you know you are better trained to do? Can you submit to the authority in your life in deference to God even though you don't agree or understand? Can you patiently and joyfully accept interruptions that God places in your life? Can you be counted? I mean, sorry. Can you be content <clears throat> to turn the other cheek and let God settle the score? Can you do good to those who do evil against you? It's one thing to turn the other cheek. Let God settle the score. It's another thing to turn and do good to those who do evil against you. And it's all, not on my list, but I thought about it actually kneeling here this morning. <clears throat> Can you love people that don't look like you, act like you, think like you, smell like you, <laughs> dress like you? People that you would define as unlovable people. Now, if you can't answer yes to all 11 of those, you need to grow spiritually. And if you answered no to many of those, it is a problem of great concern. Because we need to grow spiritually. There's room in our lives for spiritual growth. Now, we assemble here every single Sunday to work on that spiritual growth. We go into the Word of God. We're strengthened by it. We're strengthened in our inner man. We all have things that we can bring in to a setting and offer. And really, to grow spiritually, that's what you need. Because if I bring you in every Sunday and I tell you, sit down, I have been before God this week. I have prayed, I have studied the Word, and I'm going to tell you what God says about His Word. And it's going to help you grow spiritually. All that is true. But if that is the only diet that you have, you will be limited in your growth. Just like if you eat ho-ho cakes as a diet every day, and that's all you ever eat. Or just any one thing, and that's all you ever eat. We need a well-balanced diet. And to have a well-balanced diet, it takes a lot of things other than just coming and hearing pastor preach on Sunday. That's one reason that we're doing this arms ministry. It's adults reaching maturity spiritually. And I want to try this morning, it's kind of a, I'm going to deliver the word, but it's a promotional for this program or this ministry that we're starting because I want you to know how critical this is for your spiritual growth. Because when we come into a setting, there are a lot of things that you've gone through that I've never gone through. 
Randy McCabe gave testimony this morning about what it was like to get a phone call that your two daughters, your only two children, have both been in a head-on collision, and you don't know if they're going to survive. I don't know what that feels like. I, I can tell you what I think it feels like, but I haven't gone through that. Somebody that's gone through those things and many things like that, they can help you grow spiritually from the experiences that they've had. Questions that they found in the Bible, things that they've dug out of the Scripture, things that interested them, that's never interested me as your pastor. They will minister on those things, whereas I will not minister on those things. Pastor Joel ministers a lot on how to overcome some difficult things and psychologically and, and mind racing and things, depression and things like that, because he's had to deal with some of those things in his own life. So he brings that to the table, whereas I don't. I haven't gone through those things. So I can study them and I can read about them and I can tell you what the, all of the professionals say about it, but I can't tell you from firsthand experience what that's like. So it's important that we come into a setting that's really a discipleship setting so that we bring all those things to the table and we can be well-rounded spiritually. And so we're going to be starting this ministry the first Friday night in January, January the 4th. I want you to put that on your calendar. And it's really important that you make it a point to try to get into one of those meetings. We're going to have five different meetings around, and we're starting off with five, around the area. And uh, we're going to have host homes and people are going to be coming in and teaching. And we've, we've selected some really good material. What I've reviewed of it so far is called The Truth Project. But by uh, Focus on the Family produced this. And it addresses all different kind of topics and it's, I'm already intrigued by the promotion that I saw. And we're going to be building on that for the next few weeks. So I really want to encourage you to get involved with one of those fellowships. Because it's more than just a fellowship and fellowshipping uh, <clears throat> with people in the church and people in the community. It's a vital tool to help us grow and uh, mature spiritually. Because what it is designed for is to help you find the answers to life's challenges, to help you answer some of those questions that I ask you in the affirmative. Can you do this? Can you do that? I would like to even change that to do you do this and that. And I think as we grow mature and mature spiritually through this ministry, we're going to be able to do that. If you found your place in Matthew chapter 28, say amen real loud. Verse 18, a very familiar passage of Scripture I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The King James Version says, Teach all nations. But what it is actually saying is, Make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father God, we pray this morning that as we look at uh, what you have instructed us to do in Scripture, Lord, and we believe, God, I believe in my heart that you are directing us towards these arms meetings. God, you want to equip us and arm us to meet every challenge, God. Lord, you said that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. But they're mighty through you to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against you, God. And, Father, I just believe that through these ministries and what we do here in the church, Lord, and outside in these ministries, God, you are going to equip us and arm us, Lord, to face any and every challenge, Lord. To live a life that is pleasing to you, that is mature. So, God, I pray this morning that you would speak to us, Lord, and show us the importance of the topic of this message today in Jesus mighty name and everybody said amen, amen. <clears throat> now Jesus is always our example of what we're supposed to be like how we're supposed to do ministry and if you consider Jesus's example and mode of ministry he was a small group leader he selected 12 men he had more than that following but they 12 wound up following him 11 which were faithful and so, actually, Jesus was the leader of a small group of people. He, was the, he had an arms ministry of 12 people, 
in his arms group. Adults trying to help these adults reach maturity spiritually. Um, oh, no. Y'all going to have to excuse me. I've got to go get a book because I've got to read a quote out of it. Can you all excuse me one second? I, I know where it's at. Let me go put my hand right on it. Boy, that's the first time that's ever happened. Can you still hear me? Isn't that weird? You can hear me now. Oh, I stumped my toe. Oh. I ran into the door. Boy, that's embarrassing. Am I red? How do I look in red? Oh, okay. What page was it on? Help me here. 23. Okay. I usually type this out, but I just... Folks, after the party last night, I just didn't feel like typing all this out. I hope you don't mind. It says, the going is a... For a considerable number of Christians will entail crossing an ocean. But for those who honestly believe that this is not a matter, uh, not what the master wants for them, the command is no less crucial. How about traveling across town to another ethnic group in the same city? Or crossing the street to a neighborhood, a a neighborhood family, or even across the office to a colleague? There's always somewhere to go, and that means crossing some kind of barrier. Maybe an ocean, maybe ethnical. Whether the barrier is is, uh, geographical, political, sociological, uh, boy, that was a tough one, or just plain psychological. It should be apparent to all disciples in every in any era that the discipling of nations does not happen when disciples who know don't go. Did you get that? The disciplings of nations, or anyone for that matter, never happens if those of us who know don't go. So when Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples, sometimes it just means walking across the room and speaking to somebody. The other day, Mike and I, we went and got some some electrical fittings to start the electrical uh, construction out here. And on the way back, I told him, we're going to stop at Bullet. Because we went in, let me tell you, we went into this electrical place, and five minutes in there, I was ready to rip the place apart. Because they're playing rock and roll music. And folks, let me tell you, there's no word in the American Dictionary that defines how much I hate rock and roll music. It it can be in the background, and all of a sudden I am so irritated that I want to scream, and I don't even know what's doing, and then it occurs to me, because it is just demonic. And I was like, Mike, i got to get out of here, brother. we got to hurry up, man, because... I'm ready to take a hammer to that radio. Where is it, you know? And then I told him some experiences I've had with that, you know. Uh, And so I told him on the way home, we're going to stop at Bullets and get us a Carolina barbecue sandwich because they play oldies and goldies music, you know. Back in the day when your choice was secular or sacred. Now you can choose secular, sacred, or satanic. All right? And so we stopped up in there, and we're sitting there eating, and here comes this little girl. She wasn't that big and had a book that thick. And when she opened it up, the print was really, really small. I said, holy cow. Why would she even be looking at that book, you know? I'm like, so the barrier. I'm talking about crossing barriers. Are you still with me? So I said, it would take me the rest of my life to read that book. And she looked up and says, I'll finish this book today. I was like, no way. She said, no, really. I said, I'll be about three hours reading this. I think she was kidding. I said, no. well, it struck a conversation. And I said, well, hi, my name's Bernie. This is Mike. I said, I'm a pastor of the church down the road here. She said, well, no offense, but I tried to read the Bible one time, and I didn't understand any of it. And so we just began to strike up a conversation, and the Holy Spirit just stepped in that room. <clears throat> and, and her name was Sarah. Father touched Sarah this morning. I invited her to church. I said, well, Sarah, one day you're gonna, we're all going to die, and you're going to stand before God. 
And he's going to ask you, what did you do about the price I paid for you at Calvary? What did you do about Jesus Christ? You know, and you can see this look come over her face. And she started giving excuses why she didn't have time for God. She had to go take a test on Sunday. And I said, oh, God, by the way, I couldn't go to church. I had to take a test Sunday. I said, you really think God's going to be okay with that? I said, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? And I said, I'm not going to preach to you, but just want to say hi. I admire your love for words. God bless you. And I walked out the door. Enough was said. But sometimes going and making disciples just means crossing a barrier. But folks, you know, and no one else will know unless you go. And I didn't mean to spend that much time on that point, but it was good. Amen. Amen. The 12 disciples were called for two reasons. Number one, Jesus committed himself to their development. He was committed to their development. And number two, they committed themselves to his teaching. And so if we're really going to be discipled, we need somebody that knows to help disciple us. And we need to be able to commit ourselves to what we're being taught. Not to just hear it, but to do something about it. Because the key word to discipleship is obedience. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 says this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. But one can't obey what one does not know or understand. So it is essential that we who know go and teach them. That's why when we put together this ministry, it's important that you show up. You say, well, I don't, I've heard all of that before. Well, maybe you have. But there may be somebody sitting there that needs to know what you have gone through. They need, they need you there to disciple them. Because yeah. we've had people, and somebody was talking to me about this a while back. So it irritates me when people say, well, I'm not going to come to this or that because I've heard all that before. Well, maybe you have. But you have something to contribute. So it's really important not only that you show up to help other people grow, but to go out and bring people in that doesn't know and get them in an environment where they can be ministered to. He said, go and make disciples in verse 19. Now, the definition of a disciple is a learner. Learning is a lifelong process. Jesus' example of making disciples was belonging to a discipleship group. So that was what his example was. The way we make disciples is to get into a group where there's some accountability. Now, there's a certain level of that in here this morning. But how many of you know I see you on Sunday morning? Most of you I won't see until next Sunday. Most of you will not see the other people in this room until next Sunday. So there's only a limited amount of how much account, real accountability we can have with each other and how much we can really challenge one another. You know, uh, Sister Jean was talking about this morning, we need that sandpaper. Yeah. And sometimes I'm going to rub the rough edges off of you because I'm going to say something that's going to make you angry or it's going to offend you or I'm not going to say something. I may be busy and forget to speak to you. And that, boy, that sandpaper goes, shh, 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 shh. We need those things. That's what helps us become mature. That's how we can look at that list and say, can I serve joyfully and willingly when nobody recognizes me, nobody applauses me, nobody. We need each other in our lives so that we can bring all of those things about. And sometimes 
just being here on Sunday morning doesn't uh, provide that. We want to arm people with not only our words, but our examples. And that's what Jesus did. He would teach them, and then he would demonstrate it in front of them. And so that's what we want to do through this ministry. Discipleships groups is the best way to learn, to develop, and to practice the principles of Christian living. Now, we, we did some of this through when we had Sunday school. And now that we don't have Sunday school, we don't have any small group setting where you can come in. And, and people have been telling me, we've been trying to develop this to see what it's going to look like. And I've had several people tell me, say, well, Pastor, we really enjoyed the teaching in Sunday school. But one of the things that I missed the most was just a small group fellowship time of hearing other people interject thoughts and things. Because we learn so much from that. And so we're creating an environment so that we still have that. And this is a great way to do it. Now, another word for discipleship is maturity. A mature believer. And the dictionary's definition for maturity is full development. It's also the emergence of a personal and behavioral characteristics through growth process. Everything grows. Everything that's living goes through a growth process. I watched my apple tree last spring. Man, that thing had apples all over it. And I kept watching them. I've done this two or three years now. Kept watching. The, it's golden delicious, and they are good, man. I kept watching them grow, watching them grow. This happens every year. And just about the time they're ripe, they disappear. And I can't figure out what's happening to them. I don't see deer tracks on the ground. I'm thinking, a deer came and ate them, but... And, man, and the, my dog pen's right there. Surely the dog will be barking at whatever. I don't know if it's a two-legged deer or a four-legged deer, but something's happening to my apples. I've been thinking about putting a camera out there just about the time they're ripe just to figure it out, you know. But the difference in that is the growth process with living things is they grow and grow and grow, and then they become fully mature and complete. We never reach that. And it's a good thing because when an apple becomes complete, the next stage is it begins to rot. And as Christians, we don't want to ever get to the point where, oh, we've got it. And some Christians do. I've got it all, man. I've read the Bible. I can quote it all the way through. I know what hermeneutics is, homiletics, apologetics, eschatology. I know it all. Quote it all. And they never, then they stop growing, stop studying. Don't attend arms groups. I don't need that. And they start to rot. Well, we are lifelong learners, and that's what maturity means in, in, in discipling. We're lifelong learners. Romans chapter 12 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, through the growth process, we are changing from one form of life to another. And just like things in the natural realm, everything that's living grows naturally. Everything that is spiritual needs to grow also, by that same process. And what he's talking about in Romans 12 is he said, be don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. The Greek word is metamorpho. And he's talking about like a, a caterpillar that spins a cocoon, and he's inside of that cocoon. And he, there's a metamorphosis takes place. It bursts open, and it becomes a butterfly. And so what the Bible is saying is, don't be... Conform to this world and crawl around like a worm all your life. You need to be transformed into something beautiful and useful. God wants to take you from your crawly around worm cell and make you a beautiful butterfly. Give you wings that you can fly. Amen? And that's really a picture of what is being said there. So it's a process that we need to grow spiritually. This process comes by having our mind renewed through the Word of God. So we need to get into a setting where we are feeding our mind the Word of God. And let's be honest, folks. Come on, let's really be honest this morning. Most of us are not real disciplined 
in Bible study and really getting in and digging out those truths. Anybody in here ever got into a weightlifting program, bodybuilding or exercise or whatever? Isn't it easier when you've got a partner? Have you ever just tried it? Just you. How long did it last? I see treadmills. You know what they're used for? Clothes hangers. (laughs) Exercise machines. You can pick them up everywhere. They're free. (laughs) Because they became a place to store stuff, you know. We get them with good intentions. We just don't follow through. But if you've got somebody to call you up and say, you coming over to lift tonight? You wouldn't have gone. All right? Or you may be the ones like, you know what, I ought to lift tonight. It's easier if so-and-so comes over and spots me, you know. Well, it's like that. We, we encourage each other. And we need to get in a setting where we are absorbing the Word of God and having it taught to us or studying it or, or teaching ourselves. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, one of my favorite passages, says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. That means mature. The Word of God is essential to your spiritual maturity. That's how we mature. Thoroughly equipped for all good works. So maturity comes from learning the Word of God, reading it, having it taught to me, hearing it, read and taught. But most importantly, are you listening? Seeing it demonstrated. It doesn't matter how much we speak it and teach it if we never live it. And seeing it demonstrated is what teaches us. And that's what Jesus did. He would teach them and then he would go and demonstrate that to them and in front of them. Now, in the biblical times, uh, the way that they would teach their students, the Greeks, they didn't send them to a public school system. When your children became of age to teach them, they would take them out to the Greek philosophers and, and teachers and they would be wearing white robes and a lot of times their beard would be equally white and long and, and they would drop them off. Sometimes it'd be in an olive orchard or a, or a vineyard of some kind and they would drop them off with this teacher, instructor. And then he would just begin to walk through the orchard. And he would start explaining what the tree was and how the root system makes it grow and, and how the, in the spring the sap rises and how it buds out and how the insects would cross-pollinate. And, and he'd explain all these things. And as the students would follow him, they would begin to imitate him. And, w- and sometimes being children, they would do it as a mockery or, a, or just laughing. And, and they would be, how many of you made fun of your teachers? Imitated your teachers and stuff. They taught you something by their, even their mannerisms. You learn something. Most of the things that we know, we learn from our peers. Your dialect, for example. You don't learn that from mom and dad. You learn it from your peers. That's why all the girls, they talk wrapped up in their nose and they talk like valley girls, you know, from California. And they all talk the same. I'm like, why do you? You're from the mountains of North Carolina. I know your mom and dad didn't talk that way. I know they didn't talk like that. Because we, we learn from one another. And so it's important that we, we see that demonstrated in front of us. And I was talking to Dwight before we came in, and he was talking about the party last night. How many of you enjoyed the party? Wasn't that fun? Are you still friends this morning? <laughs> Even though Dwight's making fun of somebody's dish that they brought and how bad the taste was or something. I didn't eat any, so I can't be a judge of that. Hallelujah. But can you receive criticism and learn from that with a teachable spirit? See? Demonstrated maturity because she took it very well. Mature believer. That's why she's one of our arms instructors. <laughs> Amen. But he was talking about what was Jesus thinking last night? What was he thinking last night? 
as he watched us laugh and just enjoy ourselves. Because you see, the disciples walked with him every day. And the Bible does it. It said if they recorded everything that Jesus did, the Bible says this, the world could not contain the books that it would take. I think Jesus had some, had some ha-ha moments. It's not recorded in the Scripture, but I think he joked around and they laughed and had fun sometimes. I bet he pushed Peter off the boat. You know, and and he was talking about, uh, and I asked him if I could share this, and he said it would be fine. He said, I saw Jesus last night looking at us the way I look at Maddie and Gabe. He said, sometimes I'll be in the room working, and I can hear them in the other room. And they are just laughing and having interacting. And he says, sometimes I'll slip in there, and I'll just peep around the door and just watch them interact with each other. And the joy that it brings to your heart to watch your children just play and love and have fun and enjoy each other. He said, that's not how I saw God last night. Because we think walking with God sometimes is always so deep and so serious. And a lot of times when the disciples walked with Jesus, I don't think it was all that deep and serious. It was just, you know, it's like we'll see the olive tree. And he, and he just taught them, you know. The Lord gave me a vision of that one time, and some of you may remember this. I was on a mountain. I went deer hunting with Bob McClellan up in, where was that place? It was up in the mountains of Virginia. And he said, well, where are you going to hunt today? I said, I don't care if I see a thing, Bob, but before the day is over, I'm going to be on the top of that mountain. And I climbed, man. I mean, it was, I mean, I was climbing almost like climbing a ladder going up this thing. And when I got up to the top of it, folks, there was a trail right down the center of this ridge. A deer trail. And there was these great big rocks that projected up out of the top of that. And I, I mean, I was going to get as high as I could go. I climbed up on the top of that, and the view was just breathless. And I pulled out my cell phone, and I called Jeannie. I said, you will never believe where I'm sitting right now and what I'm looking at. All right, can you get that picture? I'm walking on this trail, and, and it's, it literally was like a hog's back. They call them hog backs, all right? And you could see off this side, going down the mountain, and you could see off this side in a couple places. That's what I saw in this vision. We're walking on this trail, but I'm not walking by myself. There was someone walking with me. And in the vision, I knew that it was the Lord. And we were, and it was like a father and a son just walking through the woods. And I saw him reach down and pick up a rock like that, and he just threw it. We're walking down there, just talking and spending time. And as we walk, the side of the trail in this vision, the side of the trail was lined with angelic beings dressed in white raiment. And as we would walk by, they would go and back up and bow before his presence. And he was walking with me. And we were just hanging out, having daddy time. You see... That's how Jesus relates to us. He wants us sometimes, Sunday morning is a time for reverence, is a time to honor God's Word, is a time to sit and listen to what God is saying through the Word, through an ordained minister of the Gospel. But there are some other settings we need to be in that's just hang out time. Friday night we got together and we worked a little bit more on what, the, what is the arms meeting is going to look like. Because we're trying to see how structured do we want it. And as it wound up, we looked at the material and at the end of the night, we're laughing and joking around. And, and I said, at the end of it, <clears throat> we had 30 minutes to go. It's going to go from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Well, at 8.30, they, they said, all right, well, we're through going over the material. I said, we got 30 minutes left. And, and it just clicked. I hadn't planned on staying until 9 o'clock, but I'm like, let's stay till 9 o'clock. And the last 30 minutes is when it just kind of, the whole structure part of it fell apart, you know. And we just had a good time. And at the end of it, I said, this is indicative to what an arms meeting would look like. And if it gets off topic, then let it. Because that, a lot of times, is where the Holy Spirit steps into the picture. And it was just great. How many of you were a part of the prayer and share group 
ministry when we first started the church 13 years ago. Some of y'all remember those? They would go to 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes. And we're not recommending you stay at somebody's house at 3 in the morning. But if the Holy Spirit's moving and the host home says, no, stay, it was just great. How many of you missed those, huh, that was there? They were great. And so I, I just believe that God is in this, and I, I want to see that happen again. So I, I, know, I know that great growth is going to come out of that. Real quickly, I'm going to finish up here. Two goals to God's Word. One is to change our character, who I am, and our conduct, what I do. Now, maturity, there's some facts about maturity that you need to know this morning. Maturity is not determined by your age. See, we automatically think of maturity as a silver-haired old saint and that they're mature. And a, a young, energetic adolescent is immature. But folks, I've been around for a little while. I'm starting to get closer to that gray-haired category. I've been around a lot of gray-haired folks. And I met some of them that weren't so mature. I've been around some young adolescents that was very mature. Age has got nothing to do with it. You know, my parents, they, they taught me what they had been taught. Respect your elders. I didn't teach my children that. I said, you respect those who earn your respect. Because I've seen some elders that could cuss you out. Drunks, drug addicts. I mean, they had horrible lives. They did nothing. You show them respect. How many of you know there's a difference in showing respect and actually respecting somebody? Romans, the 13th chapter, I just went up and if you saw the Central Virginia newspaper, I was in the paper this this week. Yeah, okay. Giving a certificate, and Brother Les set that up. Thank you, Les, for doing that, uh, presenting a certificate to the sheriff, thanking them for helping us with the No Fright Fun Night. Before I went up there, God had me read Romans chapter 13 about let every soul be subject to authority because there is no authority but of God, and authorities that be are ordained of God. Therefore, let every soul be subject to this. And it's talking about policemen, civil authority. And then it goes down on verse 7. It says, Therefore, give tribute to whom tribute is due, a fear to whom fear, custom to whom custom, and honor to whom honor is due. Now, I go up there, and Ashton Fortune is the sheriff. I show him honor because of that badge. And it just so happens that Ashland Fortune is a Christian man as well. So what I know about him, I honor him. I respect him. He is worthy of respect. But, folks, I went to high school with some guys that went on the police force. I knew them. <laughs> and they put the badge on, and I showed respect for that badge. But as far as having respect for them, there was nothing to respect. I knew them. And they shouldn't have been wearing the badge. So, the same thing is true with age. There are some people that are older people, but they've got some pretty not good lifestyles, and they're not really mature. And we just naturally assume they are, but that's not the case. Psalms chapter 119, verse 100 said, I understand more than the ancients, because... I keep your precepts. This is David writing, a young man. He said, I understand more than the older people. So they're not just mature because they're old. Maturity, spiritual maturity, is based on obedience. Obedience to the Word of God determines maturity. I want you to say that with me. Obedience to the Word of God determines maturity. Say it one more time. Obedience to the Word of God determines maturity. Maturity. Maturity is not determined by education. You can know scripture. You can know biblical history. You can know eschatology, which is a study of the end times. You can know hermeneutics, homiletics, apologetics. You can quote the Bible verse after verse after verse. Just because you can recite for me the fruits of the Spirit doesn't mean they're manifested in your life. Just because you can quote the Ten Commandments doesn't mean that you obey them. So all the knowledge in the world doesn't mean that you're mature. And we have a misconception of this a lot of times. 
Because people, they know so much of the Word, can teach it, but they're this deep in maturity. Knowing it and doing it is two totally different things. You see, maturity happens when information meets application. In fact, there's a famous quote that says, information without application produces no fruit. And so maturity doesn't come just because you know something. It's when you put those things into practice. So you can have a person that's a sixth grade graduate that's far more mature than a college graduate. Isn't that true? Psalms 119 verse 99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. Obedience comes from the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. The third thing is maturity is a commitment to a lifelong growth process. Natural maturity doesn't come by simply living. Uh, my mom and I were talking this week. We went down. My, my aunt's on my dad's side, the oldest sister, passed away. She was 97 years old, passed away. And we went down. And on the way down there, we're talking about older family members. And she was talking about her older sister. And when she was 19, 18, 19 years old, she had never been out of the mountains of North Carolina. My mom grew up right there on the Cherokee Indian Reservation, right in Jackson County right there. Uh, they're from Cherokee descent. And her name was Essie. And she said Essie was a 19-year-old, but she had the maturity level of a 12-year-old. And it wasn't because she was slow or, or challenged in any way. It was because she never saw anybody but mom and dad and her sister and her little brother. They, I mean, they were isolated on the side of this mountain. And so just because you're growing doesn't mean that you're maturing. You understand that? The same thing is true with spiritual growth. You don't simply grow spiritually just because you were converted to Christianity. Becoming like Jesus is a result of committing yourself to his principles. We become whatever we commit ourselves to. Do you believe that? Yeah. You'll become whatever you commit yourself to. Hebrews chapter 5 proves this point in verse 12. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use, and that's the key word, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So obedience is determined. I mean, uh, the obedience to the word of God determines maturity. Last thing is maturity makes great leaders, but it also makes great team members. You see, in our concept, there are some people that are spiritually up there, you know, and we will usually find those people and we'll put them in charge of things because they're up there. They are what we want to become. Sometimes the problem with those people is they're good leaders, but they're horrible followers. In fact, if they're not in charge, they're not involved. And they're not mature. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you have to be in charge or you're not involved, you're not mature. Because mature people make great leaders, but they also make great team members. First church was a church in crisis. The congregation had recently elected a new pastor who brought change to the stagnant congregation. Now, change was coming to the Sunday school department. Polly had been the Sunday school superintendent for years. In fact, she had founded the Sunday school. But the new pastor was asking her to assume a different role. <laughs> uh, I was on a nominating committee one time, and I made the tactical error of suggesting that the lady who was the head of the Sunday school children's department step down and put some new blood in there. That was the beginning 
of the end for yours truly. Because I had spit on their sacred cow, brother. And I had to go. And the next three years was literally rough. (laughs) The new pastor was asking her to assume a different role. Every member feared that Polly would leave First Church. After all, it was her Sunday school. Polly stood before the Sunday school staff and announced her decision. Everyone awaited anxiously. Polly declared, I love this Sunday school. In fact, I founded this Sunday school. I believe in this church, and I believe in this pastor. Greater days are ahead for First Church. The group sat in stunned silence and then stood as one applauding Polly. The preceding situation occurs in churches all over America. Unfortunately, the outcome isn't always the same as in First Church. So what was different about First Church? What was different about Polly? Polly was mature. And so just because someone is a great leader, if they're mature, they're going to also be a great participator, a great team member. Maturity is a process. It takes perseverance and it takes discipline. First Timothy 4, 7 says, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. Hebrews 5, 14 says, we just read it, said solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. It's a process, folks. It takes discipline. It takes work to become mature. And we think of exercise and training. The word training doesn't create a positive image in our mind. How many of you, what do you image, what do you picture in your mind when I say basic training? Some guy with no neck. All right, with his nose two inches off of your nose with his bad breath and everything, screaming at the top of his lung. Teaching you how to peel potatoes. How to dig a big old hole and bury your past in it. They can teach you all kinds of things. And it takes humility to stand there and learn from that training. What about potty training? What comes to mind? Patience. You set him on there again. You know, and he gets up, and you put his little training pants on, and five feet from the little potty, he, there's water in the floor, and where did it come from? Huh? I got pictures of ours sleeping on the potty. <laughs> Don't we? <laughs> Pay. Training. It creates some really, Training your pet. Some pets are untrainable. I won't go there. <laughs> Repetitive. You got to do it again and again. And weight training. The next morning, I went to a gym one time, and this guy was buff. You know, I'm in Bible college. He got me on a squat machine. The next morning, when I got to work, there was a set of steps there, and I wasn't sure I was going to get to the top of them. I literally had to grab the handrails and go, oh, 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 all the way to the top. It's painful. And there's a saying, no pain, no gain. <laughs> that was a physical therapist speaking for you there. <laughs> Maturity is our goal. It's not our destination. We're never going to be fully mature as Christians. We're always working towards that. We're never going to be totally Christ-like. When I read that list in the beginning, most of us couldn't answer those in the affirmative. In fact, all ten of them we probably answered in the negative. Because we're still working out those things that accompany salvation. You know, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
You notice it didn't say work on your salvation. Salvation is full and complete. There's nothing to work on. It's done. It was did at Calvary. But I've got to work it out, what's been done for me. And it's a lifelong process. It's my goal. It's not my destination. And all of us need to grow from the general superintendent of the assemblies of God to the newest convert that just came a prostitute off the street. We've all got work to do. And we're going to work towards achieving those things. And so we're setting into place another ministry that I really hope you get behind, folks. And I've kind of been pushing it. I know it sounded like an infomercial this morning or whatever. But I hope you see that I'm trying to show you the importance of this. You need these things in your life to help you become a well-balanced, mature believer. So we've got about three more weeks before we launch this thing. We've got five families that's going to be hosting. Some of them are going to host and teach. Uh, Tim and Kathy have uh, brought in a, uh, a teaching that we're going to implement called the Truth Project. Uh, and t- Tim is also going to be one of our arms instructors. He's going to be partnering up with Jim and Connie Fisher. They live over, if you're over in the Montpelier area. That, and you don't have, you can go all the way across the county to any one you want to go to. In the next few weeks, we're going to have a sign-up sheet. I would really like to get you to sign up which one you're going to go to so they can kind of know how many to expect in their home. And if you can, bring somebody with you. Because it's important that we grow, but it is a great... Listen, some folks won't come into a church. They feel so out of place in here. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to sit. They just feel awkward. But they'll come to your home. Invite them to a party. You don't have to tell them it's a Bible study. (laughs) Oh, deceitful, deceitful, deceitful. Now, just invite them over for coffee. So we're going to get together with a bunch of people, and we're going to be just talking about a whole lot of different things. I I think they'll be intrigued with the material we're going to be using. But uh, we got a home there in Montpelier. We've got one just outside of Louisa, about, I don't know, three or four miles from the town limit. Noel and Sheena are going to be hosting and teaching right there. We've got one up on the lake. Mike and Lisa Wilburn are going to be hosting. And Tony and Sherry are going to go over and be the arms instructors there. Right down the road, about two miles, Tim and Megan. We have wanted one kind in the central area. They're going to be hosting and teaching and then out in, in uh, George's Tavern, that's out behind in Haydensville, out that way, just the other side of Haydensville. Randy and Christy are going to be hosting uh, one of the homes out there. And so that's the five that we have right now. So that's what's coming. How many of you need to work? I, I don't need to ask that. Do I need to go over these questions again? How many of us need to work on spiritual maturity? Okay. Stand to your feet, please.